I told my wife this morning on the way in that I might get in trouble because I'm going to say that word Christmas in my sermon. And I'm even going to have it in the PowerPoints on the screen, that word Christmas. Because we realize that nowhere in the Bible does it give us the authority to celebrate Christmas as Christ's birth. But at my house, we celebrate it as a time of giving, a time of warmth, and a time of love, where we get together as family and we exchange gifts. I remember several years ago, I preached a sermon, if I remember right, it was the old rugged manger. And it was on Christmas Day. Sometimes Christmas falls on a Sunday. And I read Luke, the second chapter. And after services, Gene Turner came up to me and said, you had me worried. I didn't know what you were going to say, but then you turned it and talked about the old rugged cross. That's the way we are sometimes. But I kind of look at it as the Apostle Paul. When he came to Mars Hill, he saw that they had idols that were built to many false gods, but he saw an idol to the unknown God. And he used it as an opportunity to preach a sermon. And he didn't preach a sermon that condemned their idols. He didn't start that or start off that way, but he talked about the living God, the only God. And in talking about the living God who gives life and breath in our very being, he condemned all those other idols in speaking the truth. And so I like to think that when there are times that people are thinking about certain things, that there are subjects that we can look at in the Bible that help us to glean a lesson that will help us. And so I thought this morning, what shall we give? Or what can we give to someone else? And I thought that there were three things, and this is kind of based off of an article that was written by G.K. Wallace many years ago. He's now deceased. But there are several things that we can give. I want to talk about three of the things that we can give, and then I'm going to make some application of what we can do. Three of those gifts, we know our love, faith, and hope. Those are things that don't cost us anything. We don't have to go to the store and shop for it. It's something that as a Christian we should have in our lives. We should have hope, we should have faith, and we should have love. And so I want to talk about those things a little bit about a little bit this morning because we can give those things away. We can't we can't sell it, we can't uh, barter it. Uh, we just can only give it away. And the gifts that I want to talk about are priceless because they cannot be imitated. They have to be the real thing. And so this morning I want to talk about, for one, faith. I suggest that we give our faith to other people. In Hebrews 11 and verse 6 it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We understand that our faith is based upon the Word of God. We learn from God's Word what He wants us to do, how He wants us to live. We even learn about who God is. 
And so our faith is based upon the things that we believe concerning the Son, the Father, the, the, the things that the Bible teaches us, the things about the Spirit. All of those things are based upon our faith that we have in what the Bible teaches us. And in Matthew chapter 5, and verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so Jesus is saying that our life should reflect our faith. And James makes it even more pointed. He gets right to the point when he says in James chapter 2 and verse 18, Yea, a man may say, I, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And so Jesus and James are both telling us that we are to let our faith be seen. That people can see whether or not we really believe that there is a God. And I think that sometimes the life that we live kind of betrays us. That we say we have faith in God, but yet our actions sometimes show that we don't have the faith in God that we claim to have. In fact, in our study that we've been doing on the uh, online through prayer, we understand that faith also involves, or uh, prayer also involves faith. That when we pray, we are to pray believing and, and having faith in what God is going to do. And many times we say that prayer, you know, someone may be desperately ill, and we say that prayer and say, Lord, we help them to get better. And then we walk away and say, they're, they're going to die, they're, they're dead. And so I always wonder, what kind of faith did we have when we prayed that prayer? Do we really believe that they could be healed? And sometimes we don't pray for their help or for them to be healed because we know that it's not going to happen. And so we need to have faith in everything that we do. And in fact, we need to encourage people to believe. They, we need to encourage people to have faith. We look at, at, at many things in life and they seem to be impossibilities. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 18 and verse 27, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Look at your own life and look at the things maybe you've accomplished, the things that you've completed as in, in your spiritual life because God has given you the strength. And how many things have, at times have you been tested that God has helped you to get through that ordeal because you had faith in what He said that He would do. And now others look at that and say, well, that's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so our faith is something that we can let others see in our lives. They can see whether or not we trust God, whether or not we believe what the Bible teaches. Abraham was an individual who had many adventures in his life when he went out to do what God told him to do. Those who are afraid of the deep aren't going to catch very many fish. You think about that. I don't know if you've ever watched that, uh, what is it, the deadliest catch? Watch that a few times. They go out on that boat, and many times you watch them. What happens? That boat is just a rock and those waves are rolling that boat. And sometimes it looks like that boat's just going to roll over, but that ship just keeps on sailing. And those people that are on deck, I've seen the waves come up over the top and knock them over. If they were like me, they'd be afraid to go out on that boat and they'd stay on the shore. But because they're not afraid, they go out in that, on that boat and they catch all the crab that they want or fish, whatever it is that they're trying to catch. 
because they're not afraid. They have faith in that boat. They have faith in that captain. The question is, do we have faith in God? Abraham had faith in God. The Bible tells us that we are to be pioneers of faith, that we need to let our faith to be seen, and we need to trust God. second point that we need to realize is that we can give away the gift of hope. Everyone in this world needs hope. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, it tells us there that hope, or which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Trusting God and having faith in God is part of that anchor. It keeps us anchored and steadfast and safe. There's a lot of poetry and songs that have been written about hope. Sermons and speeches are given, and those can be very motivating to people with hope. But in Acts chapter 3, we find something there that's very interesting. Peter and John are walking by a gate called Beautiful, and there's a lame man that is laid at that gate. And that lame man is begging for alms. And Peter says to that man, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, arise and walk. He's given that man hope. And we see that individual, what does he do? He jumps up and he walks. He, he, he's able to, you know, to overcome what he had, the problem that he had. Why? Because he had the faith to get up. But I think part of it is because Peter gave him hope. And it allowed Peter the opportunity, Peter and John, an opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people that were gathered when they seen that miracle take place. Now, we don't experience miracles today, but we can share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people that we come in contact with and let them have that hope also. Because there are many people that are crippled by sin. They think that they live in a hopeless situation, that there's no way that they can be forgiven. I've had people say, if you only knew what I've done, God can't forgive that. Well, God will forgive that. But unfortunately, there are many people that are in a hopeless situation because that they have no hope. They haven't heard that gospel message and they haven't had the faith and trust in it that will help them to rise above the sin that they have desperately had or so awfully had in their life. You see, hope gives us that spark in that desperate heart that, is need, that it needs. Without hope, people are miserable. Think of the person in the sick room when the doctor comes in and says, there's nothing else that we can do. Many times I've seen that happen where the doctor says, that's all we can do. And you just kind of see the hopes of that person that they had, that they might get better. How it just fades from their face happens quite often. There are many people in our world today that feel like there's no hope. And part of that reason is we're looking at all the situations that's around us, the problems that are, exist, and it seems like there's a hopeless situation. But with God, nothing is hopeless. You look at that soldier who's out on the battlefield. He looks at that picture of his wife and children that remind him of home. And it gives him hope that there's going to be a, a rejoicing when he gets home. 
and he tries to remain safe and he does the battle that he has to do so he can get back home because he has that hope of seeing his family again. So hope is something that we can give to others. But there's also love, the gift of love. You see, the love is a medicine that is needed for all the evil that's in this world. People need to have love. Love came into this world for the cure for sin. Jesus is speaking in John chapter 3 and verse 16, very familiar passage of Scripture to all of us. And Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the gift that God gave to us because of His love, and Jesus is saying the same thing for us in other passages of Scripture, that we are to give our love to others. And so we give our faith, we give our hope, and we give our love. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, verse 13, it says, Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The New King James Version of the Bible says that faith, hope, and love in the place of charity. And the greatest is love. And I believe that the reason for that is someday our faith is going to be realized. We'll see God. We'll have heaven if we're faithful. And that hope of heaven will no longer have to exist because we are there. We're part of it. But our love for the Lord will continue on. And it will last throughout all the days, throughout all of eternity. Something that we can't even comprehend, eternity. But our love for God will continue on. And so we can give those three gifts. It doesn't cost us anything. Our faith, our hope, and our love. <clears throat> and because we give those things, what does it allow us to do? Well, I have some some things that I think will help us to apply this lesson that I want to remind us of that hopefully you know it will help you in living a better Christian life. One of the things that we can do is we can seek out someone who's been forgotten. Maybe a forgotten friend neighbor that we used to know, live next door to, maybe someone we've worked with, maybe even a wayward Christian, someone that's no longer uh, 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 attending services that uh, isn't associated with the church, maybe we need to remind them. But it gives us an opportunity maybe to write a letter and, and, and encourage them or let them know that you're thinking about them. I don't know if you've ever received a letter from someone out of the blue you know, just you weren't expecting it from somebody way back in your past. It's always refreshing. I had that happen not too long ago, a couple of years ago. Someone that I knew you knew from years ago, decades ago, wrote a letter, and when I opened it, it was a surprise, but it put a smile on my face. In fact, I had an individual I used to work with, and worked with him for over twenty years. Showed up at my house one day. You know what that did? You think I was like frowning? I'm like, get out of here. No, I was happy to see him. It was refreshing. So it gives us an opportunity. And the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those in the household of faith. So we have an opportunity. Sometimes look somebody up that you've known in the past. Maybe it's somebody you was a good friend with, but no longer are acquainted with because of distance or something that's happened. Write them a letter and let them know that you're thinking of them. Get rid of suspicion. 
and learn to trust. Many times we look at people and we just kind of have, you know, we're just not sure about them. In Acts chapter 9, verse 13, I think that we have a picture of what I'm talking about. Saul was an individual who had done a great deal of persecution to the church. The Bible says that he made havoc of the church. He was persecuting people. He he was present when Stephen was stoned. He held their coats. And we know that he consented to death for those who were Christians. And, you know, the Lord appeared to to, uh, Saul on the road to Damascus and told him to go into the city and there he'd be told what he must do. And the message was, or uh, Ananias was to go with a message uh, to Paul. And in Acts chapter 9 and verse 13, Ananias answers and said, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. And so Ananias is getting the message go see Saul and tell Saul what he needs to do. And he's like, Lord, do you know who this person is? He has a reputation. He's not a good guy. And you're telling me you want him on our side, on our team? But we know the rest of the story that Ananias went. He went because that's what he was supposed to do because that's what the Lord wanted him to do. And he went and he said, Why tarryest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's what he told Saul when he saw him. And we know that Saul was baptized into Christ. But did it stop there? Was the people less suspicious of Saul? No, look what it says in verse 21. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? Now we got the church, people, other people that are looking at him and like, Wow, we're suspicious. There must be something here going on. They needed to learn to trust. And sometimes that's our problem. We just don't trust people. We have to trust people. Get rid of the suspicion. Another point, share a treasure and give a soft answer. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, "...but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." What greater treasure could you share with someone than the Gospel of Jesus Christ? What greater treasure could you share with someone who is a Christian by encouraging them to live a faithful life? Those are the gifts that we can give that really cost us nothing but our time and our effort. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stirreth up anger. We want to be kind in our words. Sure, we've all been in situations where words can cause the thing to escalate, the problem to escalate. But a kind word sometimes can deflate the situation just by saying the right thing. I think that that's what the Bible is telling us, that even when we're sharing the Gospel, there are times that people get upset. People, they don't like what you're saying. Why? Because sometimes that's contrary to what they've been taught for their entire life. They've been taught something that's false. And when they see what the Bible says, they're disappointed. They're upset. They get angry sometimes. And so you've got to be kind in the words that you use. 
got to be soft. You can't ram it down their throats. You can't beat them over the head with it. You share the Gospel with them and use the words that will encourage. Sometimes you have to back away and come at it again. But that's what we need to do. The next point, encourage our young people to do good things, to have good words, do good deeds. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Brethren, we need to encourage our young people. Our young people are faced with a lot of obstacles in this world. There are people that are out there that are constantly trying to pull them away and back into the world or into the world. That's what they want. And we see that on television. We can see it on the Internet. We can go many different systems that we have in our society that is not encouraging young people to follow the Lord. It's trying to get them to go back into the world. And when we see a, a, a person in the Lord's church that is striving to live that faithful life, especially if they're young, encourage them. Let them know that you notice that they're trying to do what's right. Why? Because it's important that we encourage them. Because they need that encouragement. They need that reinforcement. We all need that encouragement. We all need that reinforcement. But it's always good and encouraging when you're an older person and you can see a young person that is living the Christian life. I don't know about you, but that's very encouraging to me when you see that. And so we need to encourage them on, when we have the opportunities. We also need to find the time to do what needs to be done and to keep our promises. <clears throat> Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, <clears throat> But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus is saying, put Him first. You say, well, yeah, but my schedule is just so busy. I, I just have so much to do. I don't have time to pray like you're talking about. I don't have time to read my Bible like you want. You think we should. I don't have time to visit the sick. I don't have time to help those that are in need. I don't have time to do that. Brother, we need to find the time. We need to find the time to do what the Lord wants us to do, not what we want to do. And that's the problem. Sometimes we put ourselves first instead of seeking God first and His kingdom first and His righteousness first. We put Him somewhere else down the scale that if He fits in, oh, then it'll be all right. And the other point that I want to make in at this at this point in the lesson is that when we make a promise to someone, you know, I, yeah, I can help you Friday. Friday comes around... You better be there on Friday to help. Don't just say, yeah, I'll be there. I'll help you. Yeah, you can count on me. And then walk away and like, yeah, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to do it. It's not my plan. But it sounded good, didn't it? And parents, we need to keep the promises that we make to our children. If we tell them we're going to do something, then we need to follow through and keep those promises. Put God first. That's a promise that you've made to God. When you obey the Gospel, you made a commitment to Him that you would put Him first. And that's a promise that you need to keep. But how many of us do that? James chapter 5 and verse 12. 
But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yeas be yeas, your nays nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. When we make a promise, it shouldn't be an oath that we have to take. We should be honest people. We should keep our promises. And whether it's a promise that you've made to your kids, or the promise that you've made to the bank, or the promise that you've made to your mortgage company, you need to keep those promises. Why? Because you're a Christian. And we're supposed to provide things honest. That's what God expects out of us. Next point. <clears throat> Forgive an enemy. Let go of that grudge. You say, well, I don't have any enemies. Do you have someone that you haven't forgiven? Somebody's done something to you, said something to you, and you haven't forgiven them? And I'm not going to forgive them either. That's kind of an enemy, isn't it? You're not going to help them. You're not going to show the love that we're talking about or the hope or even the faith that we have in what God teaches us. You wouldn't share that with them. Wouldn't that mean that they're really an enemy? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, <clears throat> Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. God forgives us. He'll forgive you and forgive me. But in turn, He asks us to forgive each other. And do you think that you've ever hurt God? Do you think that you've ever said things that God didn't approve of or done things that He wouldn't approve of? Or how about failing to do the things that He wants us to do? He'll forgive us. He wants you to forgive others. <clears throat> Learn to listen. Sometimes that's hard to do. But it is a vital part of communication. You have to be able to listen. Listen to what someone's saying. And then try to be understanding. You know, sometimes people say things in a, in a hurtful way because of the situation they're dealing with. And sometimes you need to understand that. And sometimes, let me just say this, if you're the one running your mouth, maybe you need to be careful. Don't use the situation as an excuse to say whatever you want to say. Be careful with your words. But the Bible teaches us to be listeners. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, Jesus said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. <clears throat> so Jesus is saying, there's going to be problems. You may have a problem with me. I may have a problem with you. And what does he say? When you have that problem, you go to that individual. Don't go to everybody else. Don't get on the Internet and tell everybody else all about it. As I like to say, don't try to get your posse together and get everybody on your side and say how awful that person is. And I always tell people, just remember, there's always two sides to every story. You're going to hear the one side and it's always going to be favorable to the person that's telling you. I've never heard anybody say, yeah, I'm such a low wife. I'm terrible. I did this and I said all this and it was just rotten to me. But that person over there, they're really good. It's not usually the way it works, does it? Learn to listen. <clears throat> in fact, James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, 
let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So in other words, listen. Be quick to listen. That's a vital point of communication. Listening before you speak. Learn to laugh. I had a variety of pictures to choose from. I was having trouble picking the one that I thought could make us laugh. Because there's a lot of funny little kids out there on the internet that can put pictures, there's a lot of pictures of that can make you laugh. But I think that we need to learn to laugh. There's a lot of problems in this world. There's a lot of issues that we all have to deal with on a daily basis. And sometimes we just take life so seriously that we just can't laugh. And I think that there, that we need to laugh because what does the Bible tell us? Tell us? In Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22, <clears throat> a merry heart doeth good like medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Friend, we need to laugh. Sometimes we need to laugh at ourselves. Sometimes we need to laugh with others. There are times that I get down, I would like to, I just want to listen to some people make jokes. So I get on, and yes, believe it or not. You can find people, comedians, that tell clean stories and make you laugh. Don't use any swear words. Don't use any filthy uh, thoughts or any of those kind of things. They can make you laugh. And it's good to laugh. The Bible says, do it good like medicine. But may I also remind us what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. In verse 3, where it says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. We, we get sorrowful. Someone gets sick. Someone loses a job. Someone loses their life. And on those occasions, many others we could think of were sad. There's not a place for laughter. But let me remind you that in those serious times... <clears throat> Those are times that remind us of the things that are important in life. When you're laughing at a comedian or laughing about some situation, most likely you're not thinking about the most serious things in life. And so laughter is good and laughter has its place, but we also need to remember that sorrow has its place too. But brother, we need to laugh. We need to let our children see that we can laugh. I think that's even okay to laugh even when we're in church sometimes. We don't laugh all the time. But it's good to laugh. Don't become complacent. Express your gratitude. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, the church of Laodicea, Jesus had some things to say about them. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I wonder sometimes how the church at Laodicea got into that situation. Had they become complacent? At one point, were they on fire for the cause of Christ? And then they just kind of started taking everything for granted? And I wonder sometimes if that's the way we are as a Christian. That when we obey the Gospel, we're on fire and we, are, we, we want to do everything. We want to conquer the world. But as time goes on, we become complacent. 
And we just expect the Lord to keep doing the things that He's always done. And I think that we've learned something this, this year. If we've learned nothing else in the year 2020, one of the things that we've learned is that you can't be complacent in life. You cannot take it for granted. You can't expect the same thing every day. Because things change. And things that we've taken for granted all of our lives as Christians or as Americans seem to be put on hold for a little bit here. Don't become complacent. Be thankful every day for what you have. Be thankful and that will motivate you to serve God. Listen to some of the Scriptures. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 4, "...who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles." In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16, "...cease not to give thanks for you, making mentions of you in my prayers." Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3, "...I give thanks to God and the, Lord of our, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you." 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you, for, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, and belief of the truth. Paul was thankful for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul was thankful for what he had. Don't wait till you lose it to say, I'm thankful to God for it. Don't wait till you lose your spouse to be thankful for your spouse. Don't wait for you till you lose your children to be thankful for your children. And the same with your job and everything else that you have. Be thankful for it. Don't just take it for granted. Don't just expect it to always be there no matter what you do. Be thankful. And then enjoy the beauties and wonders of the earth. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. All the things that God created in nature show us the power of God and it is referred to as His handiwork. And I think when you think of nature and all of its beauty, it's all temporary. And if a sunset and waterfall and the ocean and the mountains and all of those things can look so beautiful, look at the sky at night, they, they, they say that star is supposed to be out tomorrow night. So expect that to be cloudy here. Because <clears throat> you won't be able to see it. But anyways, think of all that beautiful stuff that God has And it's all temporary. Imagine what the permanent residence is going to look like. Imagine what heaven will be like if that's going to last forever like the Bible tells us. No pain. No crying. No separation. I want to go there. How beautiful heaven must be. I want to conclude with this thought, which is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. 
The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. I want to encourage you this morning to speak your love to others. Speak it again and then speak it still again. And not only will your holiday be great, but when you do those things, every day of your life will be great. And that's really our goal. To be that light that the Lord wants us to be so that His name is glorified. This morning, if you're not a Christian, Jesus died for your sins. And He tells us that we need to believe and be baptized to have our sins washed away. You can do that this morning. Maybe you are a Christian and you haven't lived like you should. Maybe you haven't given that gift of faith and hope and love to others. You can start doing that. You need our prayers. We're here to help you and encourage you because we want you to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven and I want to take you with me. Or you can take me with you, whichever way it goes. But we want to, we want to get to heaven. We have to do what God wants us to do to get there. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.